Hello and welcome to the Ty Brown Show. Here for another episode. This week we're going to be talking about leadership and how we don't want to be the emperor with no clothes. No, we want to lead with trust. So the hallmark of great leaders uh, really, I think, is a winning team. It's a, or maybe it's a winning army, winning group, community, um, country, whatever, whatever it might be. Great leaders have great teams. So how do you inspire greatness in your teams? This has a little bit of a business focus to it this week, um, but it applies you know, equally well to your families. It applies to your church groups. It applies to any group where you're interacting with a common purpose. So our hope for the, this show is that you will harness the power of dispute resolution to take your team to the next level and leave your competition in the dust. It's happening in three, two, and one. Podcasting from conciliators, this is the Ty Brown Show. If you're a human and you think you might have to interact with other humans at some point, and you'd like that to go well, then listen up. Oh, yeah. It's time to get cozy with conflict. Let's go. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. Uh, let's let's go ahead and start off with our stats. Looking at the numbers, looks like this dispute resolution revolution marches on with uh, 606 new listens. So we are growing steadily. Thanks for sharing this with everyone you know. I hope that um, I hope that you're able to um, share it with people that you're close to and and people that you're not. And again, the goal here is to help influence the the human dialogue. I mean, interacting with each other can be hard, and these are skills that are learnable. There are a lot of tools that can actually help, even simple things. And I'm hoping that uh, that we can help influence the dialogue so we don't have any more of those uh, angry customer at the Cougar Eat experiences like I shared last week. So anyway, uh, that's the mission of this show is bringing ADR, that's Alternative Dispute Resolution, to the masses and resolve disputes in your everyday life. Oh, all right. Taking a look in the rearview mirror. uh, Last week, we talked about grounding your identity. Specifically, we talked about avoiding the trap of all or nothing thinking. This is when you hear some piece of negative feedback and you're tempted to either go into complete denial mode and try to maintain this uh, this facade of perfection by by not accepting any negative feedback and denying <laughs> just denying it outright uh, or alternatively you embrace the negative feedback as if it's the only information you've got you exaggerate it in your mind and you you let it define you you get all mopey and depressed and uh Geesh, yeah, that's no way to live. So we talked about how to keep your balance by keeping an accurate big picture. Except that you're going to make some mistakes, that you're going to contribute to problems, um, but realize that you are what you want to be. You are who you are, and um, and one piece of negative feedback doesn't doesn't change that. So anyway, we we talked about keeping your balance and grounding your identity and how that can bring such a power into your life. Um, I think the people who are less affected by um, just by verbal attacks, maybe they're less affected just by 
by tense conversations and difficult conversations. The reason they are is because they have a really grounded identity. Um, they're not, I mean, they're secure enough to, uh, to own up to their contribution to an issue. They're secure enough to accept the fact that, um, you know, that even, even in some instances, maybe their intentions weren't as good as they wish they were. Uh, if you can have that kind of security, you are really difficult to throw off balance and you will be able to hold your ground when your silverback gorillas start charging. So I uh, hope you'll remember that and um, hope you'll have that kind of uh, intellectual humility to be able to, um, well, you, actually, let me, let me say this. I, I have a, a phrase that I learned from, from a good friend of mine that I've adopted as, as one of my mantras as a business owner. Um, whenever somebody brings something to me, I always say, even if it's something we've decided on, if it's something that's important to them, and I can tell that, I always tell them that I'm always open to reconsider. We can have a quick conversation, and if there's any new information, uh, I try to have enough intellectual humility to to say, well, you know, what would it take for me to change my mind on this? And, and sometimes uh, that keeps us from making big mistakes or missing great opportunities. So uh, anyway, that's a little bit about identity, and... Um, Boy, powerful concept. So revisit that in case you're ever struggling. All right. Now, I, I going into this week, I'm just kind of borrowing my notes from a uh, business leaders growth summit that was put on by Tamarack Capital. It's a great family office funding businesses all over the place, um, doing a great job, by the way. Uh, but they, they actually invited me to come and talk to people, which is a big risk. Uh, I'm teasing. Well, maybe not. But anyway, so I went and presented on leadership and in, in a business context. And I want to use a lot of my notes from that presentation for today's work or for today's work for today's episode. And I'm hoping that this will help people in the workplace, especially, but it will be applicable to, to anyone, regardless of if you have a workplace, you're going to be working in groups on projects and this will help you. I and I wanted to also address a, a big concern I had. I was chatting with my brother, Zach. He's a, he's a business leader, has been most of his life, and and um, I was getting some of his ideas for my presentation last week, and and he may he may said something that was very concerning to me, and I realized that I haven't done a great job being very clear, but he was telling me about how he really he really puts a lot of effort into fostering dialogue in his teams, in, even if it's even if it seems argumentative. And, and he says, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what you're trying to do with your dispute resolution revolution. And as soon as he said that, I was kind of like, oh, yikes, yikes, uh, because because it's not the opposite. Uh, that is exactly what I'm trying to promote. You say, what? You're trying to promote contention? No, 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 no. No, we're doing away with contention and contempt. Um, and the, the way we're doing it is by encouraging people to speak up and teaching them how to do it teaching people how to face your silverback gorillas, how to resolve the biggest issues in your lives, how to, how to resolve the, really the most challenging relationships you're facing. Now, you don't resolve them by being contentious and by seeing other people with contempt. Um, no, that, that's exactly the opposite. But very often, resolving these kinds of conflicts, it mandates that you're willing to face the music and accept that you don't see things the same way. And you're going to have to communicate that at some point if you have any hope of saving it, <laughs> saving the relationship. And by showing enough humble curiosity on your own end, very often you can invite them or get, get 
you know, somebody who's on the opposite side of an argument to you, uh, to see things your way and to open their mind and to, uh, to ultimately give you a pathway to where you can, where you can resolve your problems. So anyway, that was my big concern. I, I really hope that all of you are not thinking like, well, now I can't say anything. I've been listening to this podcast and now I feel like I just can't speak up because that is the opposite effect. All right. So speak up, face the music, just go do it. Stop, stop waiting around. Go save, go, go resolve these issues. You can do it if you'll talk about it. Okay, moving on. Great leaders. All right, well, let's talk about great leaders. One of the things that struck me when I was asked to talk about leadership was like, hey, that's kind of out of my wheelhouse. I'm more of like a dispute resolution guy, um, not so much a leadership guy. But as I got thinking about it, wouldn't you know, what do all great leaders have in common? Well, pretty much all of them have emerged as a result of huge conflicts. They are great partially because they were able to influence the outcome of really important conflicts. Think about it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights, Nelson Mandela, apartheid, George Washington, Revolutionary War, and the subsequent years of tension and hardship, Abraham Lincoln, civil war, ending slavery. Look at these. So, so these, these leaders, and you know, you could go on and on and on. These leaders emerged because there was a very challenging conflict that they helped resolve. And in many cases, they went beyond that and they reconciled entire nations and reconciliation. Now that is, that is a, that is a gift and an art and uh, something that is a trait of our most notable leaders. Another trait of our most notable leaders is their legacy or the legacy of their teams. These amazing leaders led incredible teams. Um, these are, you know, tight knit groups that helped effectuate their, their plans, but it, but it expends, it extends beyond that to everybody they're influencing. Um, their followers were great and they accomplished something big together. And so the focus of this week's episode is on teams. It's on how to leave a legacy with your team and a lot of the material. I'm going to go over six secrets of successful teams and five of them come from Patrick Lencioni, just unashamedly using his material because uh, it's awesome. It's very, very good. Um, most of these come from the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which I recommend that you take a look at if you if you haven't ever heard of it. Um, yeah, check that book out. And um, or you can just listen to the next you know 15 minutes or so. And I'll just tell you everything that's good. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do it justice, but I'll try. Um, I, I'm going to use a lot of my own terminology, but know that the basic core principles, many of them are coming from him. Okay, so what, you know, six secrets of a successful team. Uh, and I don't mean successful team as in like, hey, we achieved some great results. It's a lot more than that. I think to be a successful team, you have to be able to say, we made a unified effort to do the best that we were capable of. Some teams, they have more star power than others. And they might be able to outshine another team with less star power. But if that team that got outshined was closer to their ceiling, I'd say they were the, the more successful team in the sense of leadership and effective teams, right? Um, a really successful team gets as close to their ceiling as possible because they have made a unified effort to do the best that they are capable of doing. Okay, so number one, um, this is the only one that doesn't come from Patrick Lencioni. Um, first, the first secret is to inspire instead of motivate. And, and I shouldn't say instead of, 
I would just say to focus on inspiring more than motivating. This is the difference of leading with with love versus leading with fear. It's lighting a fire within instead of lighting a fire under. It's a very people centric approach to leadership where the leader is helping the team members see what what it what the team can accomplish and then to desire that outcome um, to be to be moved from within to desire the vision that the leader has set out um, that's when teams th that raises the potential of your team that raises the ceiling of what they can accomplish if they are being inspired instead of just motivated so leaders must see they have to be able to see the greatness within their team their team members so clearly that the leader becomes to expect greatness as an example of this uh, let me tell you a little research project that was done on a first grade class some researchers went into a, a random first grade class with 36 students and they told the teacher hey we're administering these IQ tests all around the country and we're trying to find um, just exceptionally bright students and you know we may track them follow them over the years they administer this exam um, they pick well so they administer this exam they come back and they tell the teacher you're not going to believe this five of your students have 140 plus IQs I mean they are genius level students five of your 36 are genius students wow you know this will be so interesting to keep an eye on them now here are the rules first grade teacher you are not allowed to ever tell anybody you can't tell their parents you can't tell the class you can't tell the student you can't tell anyone this is this needs to be completely blind for it to for our research to be valid so only you can know but these five kids tested with genius level iqs so they go through the entire year and um, the teacher keeps her bargain, doesn't tell a word to anybody else. And at the end of the year, they take a test, um, just a kind of a standardized test. And the teacher you know, is reviewing the results and is not surprised to find that the five highest scorers are her five genius students. Not surprising. However, what she didn't know is that the five genius students were actually just picked at random by the researchers. And even though she never explicitly acted on this knowledge, something about the way she saw these students made them rise to greatness, made them achieve more than their peers, just because their leader saw something in them special just because their leader expected something special. So a lot of times as leaders, we don't get what we deserve. A lot of times we get what we expect from our teams. So keep that in mind. That's, that's the first fundamental is to inspire instead of motivate. And that inspiration oftentimes comes by how you see your people. Okay, because that matters. Seeing your people the right way matters. Number two, I call this one, this is a term of my own, I call this one emotionally stark naked trust. Yep, that's where when you are with your team, you just take off all of your, no, I'm just kidding. No, when you're with your team, you are completely open. You are completely honest. You are unafraid of sharing your concerns, your fears, even your mistakes, your weaknesses, anything. You can share anything. You can also share your successes unashamedly. 
you can you just let your team in that you let them see your humanity there there's so many leaders who are so concerned about their team members seeing them sweat and losing confidence in their leader well let me tell you that doesn't happen people don't walk through walls for their leaders if they don't see their humanity but if they see their leader uh is secure enough to be vulnerable, then those teammates, they will walk through flames for that leader. And, and that is the critical foundation that everything else is built on. All the, all the next principles, they only work if, if your team can have and harness the power of emotionally stark naked trust, where, where you can just say and be exactly who you are. All right. And, and, and let me say this, I'll, I'll make you this, I'll make you this, I'll make you this promise. It, if you can own your weaknesses, your, your people will be, um, they will be a lot more committed to your causes. They will be a lot more committed to the team and to you as a leader. If you can just own it, own who you are. Okay. And it, you know, there is sometimes a fear of like, well, what if I like share all of my weaknesses? Like, well, yeah. Uh, can I, can I overshare? Well, if you, ha- if you're worried about like having so much of that, um, it, maybe you've got a competence problem and not, not really a vulnerability problem. So, um, anyway, <laughs> I don't think there's such thing as being too, too authentic. Authenticity is a key. All right. So, right. That we've got this, we've got this foundation, right? Everything else is going to be built on this complete honesty, authenticity, vulnerability, this trust. That's the brand of trust you need. That kind of trust is different than kind of the expectation trust where it's like, hey, I know you well enough to know, you know, to know and trust that you will behave in this way under these kinds of circumstances. That's that kind of trust is bogus. It doesn't really do anything for you. It just means you know each other well. This is the kind of trust that inspires greatness. Number three, this is a big one and and one that I have to work on a lot. It is this disagree better and more often with your teams. Teams, they worry that if they fight, they're going to fall apart. And that can actually happen, right? Teams do sometimes fall apart because of chronic unresolved conflict. But the solution to this is to disagree better and more often. Let me tell you a story. So I got a phone call from a girl who uh, was was with a business client that we service uh, with conciliators, and she says, she says, hey, this uh, this manager of mine is so so dumb. I mean, she's so stupid. She has this idea, and it's a terrible idea. It's not going to work, and everybody hates it. And I I said, oh, okay, it sounds pretty bad, you know. Tell me all about it. And we talked, and I said, well, it sounds to me like you really need to talk to her. And, and her response was, no, 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 I'm not talking to her. No way. And uh, I, I ultimately told her, well, I can't really, I can't really help you unless you do. And so I just encouraged her to talk about it. Well, fortunately she went back and she did talk about it, except for not to the manager's face. She talked about it with all of the other employees and, and they, they created quite a strong alliance. Everybody was unified in thinking this leader was a total moron. And, um, <laughs> and no one, no one tells the leader that this idea is bad. And uh, as the idea gets rolled out 
it um, you know doesn't exactly get the traction that it needs, doesn't have the support from within that it needs, and it's a train wreck and a failure. And that leader's real sad now. That manager's real sad. And then I get another phone call. This time it's from the manager. She's crushed. Her soul is crushed. And she says, hey, I just overheard some of my team talking about me. And it was, it was extremely hurtful. I mean, the things they were saying, you wouldn't believe. And I said, I bet I would. Um, and the lesson from this was, the lesson was this, you know, they, by not confronting this issue, they effectively crushed her soul. But, you know, at least they didn't disagree with her idea, right? That's, that was the, so is that so much better? Um, absolutely not. If you are unwilling to disagree with someone's idea, then it, it, it just shows that you don't trust, that you, you don't have the trust in that relationship to be able to talk about what matters most. And if you can't talk about what matters most, you're not going to get the results that you want. So if you, now, now this is, I have to be careful here. Um, there are a lot of teams where their identity and their trust is so pervasive and so secure that they can argue, you know, spectacularly. They, they can really get after it. They can be, I mean, it, it can sound heated and upset and passionate and they can still come out of that meeting feeling pretty good because that's their process. Now, I don't know, I don't know that that's the way every team needs to be. Uh, I think that it's possible to disagree passionately without really arguing with, without, well, I guess it depends how you define arguing. You don't have to get contentious and you don't have to introduce contempt in order to disagree. I mean, if you're going to disagree, well, I, I'll, I'll just tell you this. I mean, in all candor with my wife, um, we disagree a lot, but we, we don't argue. I mean, we just don't. Uh, we bring up issues that matter a lot and uh, we hear each other out every time. And there, there's such a level of trust that it doesn't ever feel it doesn't ever feel contentious and it just, it just never has. Uh, that's, that's our relationship. And, and my wife gets a lot of the credit for that. Um, but in your teams, you can't be so fearful of being contentious that you fail to talk about what matters most. All right. So if you're going to have an effective team, you have to have, and, and this is actually really easy to do this disagree better and more often thing. It's really easy to do. You just sit down and you say, okay, guys, you all have good ideas and you all have different experiences and you all have different things you're bringing to the table. But if you don't ever say any of that stuff that's inside of you, we're not going to get the benefit of this. So we need you to speak up. We need you to say something. All right, we good. And then if you're in the meeting and someone's not saying something, you say, okay, we need, you know, you know, come at me. This is how I feel about it. Come at me. If you feel differently, let's hear it. Let's, you know, let's talk about this. And, and that's how you explore ideas. And that's how you find your best path forward. So redefine conflict in your teams. It's not so much about, it's not contention. Conflict is really just the process by which you explore your very best paths forward. It's the way you explore your best ideas. Um, okay. Um, 
Let me tell you a story of somebody who was really afraid to disagree with their boss. This was this is a Patrick Lencioni story. He was consulting. He was hired to do a 360 feedback uh, tool for the CEO who is you know big and famous and uh, very intimidating. And um, you know his HR person kind of compelled him say, "Hey, I think it's time that you get some feedback about your leadership style so we can you know let these other people be heard." And so he says, "Oh yeah, sure, let's do it." So they do this. They do this 360 feedback session. He gets the results and he's eventually persuaded to go over the results with his team. And during this meeting, he says, all right, so it says here that I'm not a very good listener. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I thought I was doing a lot better at this. You know, look, he looks over at his, the person next to him. What, you know, what do you think? Do you, do you think this? And they're like, oh, no, no, boss. Yeah, no, you, you've been doing a lot better. And next person, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're doing pretty good on that. And it goes around the table and everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, you're doing pretty good, boss. And then he goes, oh, okay, all right. Well, we got that one out of the way. Uh, next, it says here that I, um, I, uh, you guys want me to give more positive feedback. You know, I, I get I, I I see what I see those good things you're doing. I, I give you positive feedback, right? Don't you think? And the first person says, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, like we we feel all the all the good feedback we need." And it goes around the table, and everyone does this. Finally, the consultant intervenes and he says, uh, "Guys, um, I just want to point out that all of this data that these reports were based off of, uh, yeah, it came only from you. You were the only group here that." answered this survey so resume you know and uh and so finally after an awkward silence some uh you know director of marketing raises his hand and goes yeah you know i actually i i could say you know you could you could give me more positive feedback if i do something or i mean my team maybe you give my team more positive feedback if we do something great um yeah i i i i, I can own up to that i said that and uh, and the boss looks around and kind of waiting for someone else to say something. And of course, their head lawyer says, "Oh yeah, no, no, the right, no, we're good. No, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. You're good." And everyone else, they, you know, they just bury this guy. They just bury him, and he has, he just has nothing, right? He no support. And the CEO, in that instance, he established, look, with me, I'm not going to be vulnerable with you. You're not allowed to disagree with me. And he lost. He lost. His team became ineffective. And then actually that company ended up going under despite a lot of star-studded leadership. And um, so that's an example of, of the effect of failing to be vulnerable, failing to have that emotionally stark naked trust, uh, and, and how, that, how that creates an atmosphere where it's not possible to disagree, um, let alone disagree well. Okay, number four is to disagree and commit. It's to have a disagree and commit mindset. That, that was a, actually a catchphrase from Intel that they used, disagree and commit. Um, this is the idea that if you talk something out with your group, if you really hash it out, at the end of the discussion, even if you were on, you know, even if a path, the path that is decided to be pursued, even if it was against what you were arguing, if you've had the chance to make your points and you feel like you were heard and you were understood, you're still likely to get on board with the path forward, even if it wasn't the one you had felt strongest about. It's because you're really committed to this team and you understand that they heard you out, that they care about you and that that your points were heard. So uh, it's this effect of commitment growing um, out of disagreement. So 
here's a story about how commitment, um, how commitment is affected when there's not the chance to speak up and be heard. I coached little league soccer for my for my kids and had done it a couple of years. And one day, I uh, well after the, like the second or third year of doing this, I remember telling everybody and setting the expectation. All right, you know I don't really do soccer. Like I don't even know what I'm doing here, and I'm sick of sending texts out. You know, several times a week, and I'm sick of dealing with. You know, treat coordination and food allergies and and um, you know gluten sensitivities and and all these things, and uh, I think I I think I've like paid my dues and we're gonna pass the baton here gracefully to someone else. So um, one of you other parents sign up because I'm not being the coach next year. Well, I came home from work one day and uh, lo and behold was informed that I needed to send out a text because there was a game coming up, and I and I had been volunteered as the coach. And I thought, well, how convenient is that? You know, gee, all right. And, and I thought, how is this? And honestly, I was like, how is this possible? You know, I was so clear. I wasn't going to be the coach. And here I am finding myself coaching. Um, and so what happened was my commitment level to my role as coach was very, very low. And I sort of wanted everyone to see like, oh, this was a bad idea for y'all to volunteer me, you know? <laughs> and I would go out there and like sort of kind of try to be a coach, but like like not that hard, I guess. I, this is embarrassing to talk about. Yeah, I was like I was like purposely a bad coach. And they're like, hey, coach, can you come help me? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Here, let me let me like sort of help you kind of. Um and I, and yeah, and then like during the game, I was like, yeah, watch how bad we're getting killed. This is terrible. You know, and it, anyway, it was, it was the worst. And I, I still feel bad about, I feel bad about not being a better coach. Those kids deserve so much better. Uh, but they got me and, uh, and, and not just me, they got uncommitted me, which is like a bad version of me that you don't want to know or be around. And so anyway, that, that's, that's what happens. I didn't get a say. And when your people on your team don't get a say-so, when they don't get to speak up, when they don't get to be heard, yeah, you, they're helping with like little alligator arms, like, oh, here, you know, let, let me help. But they're not actually. So let them be heard. Let them speak up. Create that environment where everybody can be open and bam, you get commitment. Commitment is born. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, next, number five, accountability. Now, there are three kinds of accountability that I, that I preach. Um, the one I feel most strongly about is individual proactive accountability. And this was inspired by like this super old documentary I watched one night on Netflix at like midnight. And it was about the Blue Angels. And they talked about how their team requires perhaps the highest level of trust of any team that's out there because they're flying these complex maneuvers two feet away from each other at hundreds of miles an hour. And you have to completely trust your team that they're going to execute their maneuver perfectly or else they're going to kill you. And it's, it's, and it's going to be a public death, a spectacular flying, you know, is awful. It, it would, it, anyway, the, the level of trust is really exceptional. And to foster that trust, one of the things they do, and perhaps the, the biggest, most important thing they do is after every show, after every, after every rehearsal, even they go immediately off the, off the tarmac and into a room 
and every person goes through the show, goes through their routine in front of the group and talks about all of their errors. They, they just own up to every little minute detail, whether it was noticed by the team or not. And they just talk about how they were conscious of these errors that they made and that they, they're, you know, that they're recognizing these things and that they're committed to the team, that they're committed to improving them. And they always end by saying, glad to be here, glad to be here, which is just kind of a humble way of saying, you know what, I'm not perfect. And I'm really glad that you let me stick around, even though sometimes I, even sometimes I make mistakes. And so I, I've instituted the same thing at conciliators where our team gets together at the end of the day and we just go through our day and we talk about kind of the good and the bad and the ugly. And, and then we just say, glad to be here. And it's, it's individual proactive accountability. You know, the leader doesn't have to sit down and be like, all right, well, I want to go over, uh, I want to go over this behavioral problem I observed, I observed. And no, it's, it's a lot more comfortable than that because it's coming from the individual and they're prompted to be proactive really regularly. So it has a very powerful, um, it's a very comfortable form of accountability. It's set up more as a system instead of as like a difficult conversation. Um, okay, so that's number one. And, and, and I think the most important type of accountability, individual proactive. Second kind is peer to peer. This is where everyone on the team is really united. And as you're going through your steps, you know, for your responsibility within the team, if you see someone else who might be struggling or needing help with their with the weight that they're carrying, um, you go to them and you say, Hey, Hey, I see this happening. Uh, what's going on? And can I help? Um, this, you know, you, you are willing to, to join with them to, to help pick them up if they're stumbling a little bit. And it's, it's not taboo to talk about it. If somebody's struggling, it's not taboo to point out, Hey, you know, I, you seem pretty committed when we were in the meeting to doing this, but you know, but I, I, I haven't, I just haven't seen you really getting into it. Have you had second thoughts or, you know, what's going on? And it's okay to talk about your peers performance, even if you're not their boss, because you're, you're in it together and you're willing to help them too. So that's peer to peer accountability. You also need the third kind, which is top down. Now, top down is where the leaders coming to the people that they're leading and, and giving them, holding them accountable. And this is hard. It takes, it takes courage. And, uh, most leaders, honestly, most leaders are bad at this. Um, it's easy to, I mean, it's easy to hold people accountable for numbers and be like, Hey, you know, this was our, this was your quota, or this was our goal, or this was our blah, blah, blah. And here's the number that we actually got. So let's talk about the different, now, you know, numbers are super easy to talk about the, the kind of accountability that's hard for top down or for, for a leader to, to engage with. Uh, their employees on or, or, you know, with their team on is behavioral accountability. Like if somebody's doing something that's like, you know, and the reason it's hard is because the leader's like, well, it's sort of subjective. Like maybe, maybe they are working hard enough or like me, any behaviors are just a little trickier to hold people accountable on, but they, the, the thing that makes it tricky is because we just get scared of doing it. It doesn't have to be so complicated. It doesn't have to be so hard. And, and here's, here's why. If you're the leader and you go to someone and they're having some sort of, let, let's call it some sort of issue that's behavioral, their behavior is causing a problem on the team. 
if you can talk to that employee and let them and let them talk, so you engage in a discussion. I, let me tell you, the great managers lead great conversations. If the worker or if, if the team member feels known, if, if they feel like you know them and that you understand them and what they're going through and that you've heard them out and appreciated them for what they've done, then you can say anything you want. You can say whatever it is. Um, and it gets really uncomplicated once the person you're talking to feels known, understood, heard, and appreciated. And, and the best way to get results, the best way to get change, if you're a leader holding a team member accountable, is to, to make the feedback future-focused. Um, instead of talking so heavily about the past, talk about the future and, and make it a two-way dialogue, like I said, so that the employee feels known, understood, heard, and appreciated. Bam, done. Uh, it doesn't have to be so scary. It doesn't have to be so hard. You just have to know what you're doing. So number six is have a focus on team results instead of individual glory. This is the Scotty Pippen principle, right? Uh, going back to, what was it? It was like 1996. Um, the Bulls had won the championship the, years bef the year before. In fact, I think like probably like four of the years right before that. And um, Michael Jordan had, I think, stopped playing to go play some baseball for a little while and left Scottie Pippen as who was the number two when Jordan was there, left him as the number one. And they go through the season, the Bulls do, and they, they play great. They have a great season. Pippen is just, man, he is clean in house, like getting it done, playing great basketball, uh, both sides of the floor, points, assists, steals, blocks, everything. I mean, this guy, this guy is just having quite a year and he's stepped up well as a leader. Well, in the playoffs, they're playing the Knicks. They had like a 22 point lead in the, I think at the beginning of the fourth quarter and that lead, that lead starts vanishing quickly. And eventually right at the end of the fourth quarter, Pat Patrick Ewing hits a shot with like 1.8 seconds left that, that puts, uh, it either tied the game or it put the Knicks up by one. I can't remember which of those things, but anyway, it was either tied or the Knicks went up by one. The Bulls were going to, yeah, the Bulls were going to have one shot left before regulation expired, chance to win the game. And it's interesting if you watch the replay of this. As soon as Ewing hits that shot, um, the Bulls have three timeouts left, and if you take a timeout, you get to pass the ball in at mid court instead of at the baseline. But Anyway, a, a Bulls player grabs the ball and Pippen starts calling for the ball. He's like, he apparently doesn't want the timeout. He just wants the ball and he wants to go take the winning shot. And the guy actually the, inbounds the ball to him. But right before he inbounded the ball, another player called timeout. Thank goodness, because there were already two Knicks who were ready to defend Pippen, you know, full court uh, and keep him from getting a good shot off. So anyway, this player called timeout. And they go to the huddle. Phil Jackson's the coach, storied, legendary coach, right? He draws up a play and he goes, okay, guys, uh, we've got one shot left. We've got this uh, uh, opportunity to win the game. We're going to put the ball in the hands of Tony Kukoc. He's a great shooter. He's very tall. Uh, you know, I can't remember. Is he like Czechoslovakian? No, I, I can't remember where he's from. He's European, I think. Um, anyway, he says, yeah, we're going to put the, the ball in the hands of Tony Kukoc. He'll take the last shot. And Pippen's like, no, 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 I'm the, I'm the leader of the team. You know, it was MJ when MJ was here, he's not here. Now I'm the leader. I take the last shot. And it feels like, uh, uh, no, actually here with this play, uh, Kukoc will take the shot. 
And, um, and Pippen's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the best player. The shot's mine. And the field was like, no, you see here, this play I've drawn out, it has, it has Ku coach. You know, we inbound the ball to Ku coach and he, he shoots it for the win. Um, and, and finally, finally Pippen's like, well, if I'm not taking the last shot, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm not taking the floor. I'm not, I'm not going out there. And so, uh, coach Jackson's like, um, all right, um, you, uh, you're in for Pippen, right? Go sit down. <laughs> and so they inbound the ball to Ku coach and he drains the shot. They win the game, right? Amazing. But at that moment, the Bulls sort of died. Uh, their leader prioritized individual glory over team results, and uh, and they were never the same. They never recovered from that. They never recovered. So that's uh, those are the six principles of effective teams, of successful teams. So go out there, make great teams, make great families, make make great communities. Uh, these principles work. I uh, I. I I'm very excited for next week where you have a listener story that is that is outstanding where they use some of these uh, things we've been talking about. And um, so be sure to tune in next week. We're going to have a good time. Thanks so much for listening. I'm glad the dispute resolution revolution is growing and have a great week. And we'll talk to you again soon. Peace out.